Welcome to Hyperbaric Living with Dr. Masha podcast. I'm Dr. Masha, naturopathic doctor, hyperbaric expert, and your podcast host, bringing you the cutting-edge interviews and ideas about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'm grateful to interview these bright minds and sharing their knowledge and experience in the field of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Thank you for listening. So let's get started with this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Hyperbaric Living Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Masha. Today, I have with me um, a special person, Dr. James Newbrander. He is one of my favorite doctors. Uh, we all have our favorites. Uh, that's okay. I love talking to him. He has a wealth of information. And today, we're going to talk about uh, autism, autistic spectrum disorders, and uh, his findings. He's um, more than... 25 years experience with treating kids on autistic spectrum with uh, methyl B12 injections, but not only that. Welcome to the show, Dr. Newbrand. It's nice to be here. I have my favorites too, so it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm very excited. Dr. Newbrander, could you please tell my listeners about yourself and about your practice? Uh, my I practiced for a long time taking care of these children. I finished a residency in environmental medicine and decided after a while that that was limited. I accidentally found that methyl B12 was a form of B12 that helped children on the autism spectrum. I found it in 2002, you know, reported it for the first time in 2003. At that time, the world of autism had very little you know, everybody was still looking at parents that had kids with autism as what's wrong with you parents? Why don't you get your kid in order? I was one of those too. Uh, but then I pretty much learned. Anyhow, I found methyl B12 by accident and gave my first lecture in Philadelphia in May of 2003. And then we, by then we only had some diet. We had some supplements. We had a little bit of treating allergies and a little bit of you know, healing the gut, nystatin, diflucan, et cetera. There wasn't much. So the parents were looking for, you know, something. And when that came along, they jumped on it, just they jumped on it and started doing it. So they came to me from all over the world. Right now, I think I'm up to 80 countries that they've come from. And I think 47 out of 50 states. And I've uh, done methyl B12. Then that was 2003. It was, I think around, yeah, it was 2003. Five, uh, five, beginning 2005, then the end of 2005, when hyperbaric was the next big thing that was on the scene. And there were very few clinics doing that at that time, just a few in this country. So we, end, we started doing that. We started in December of 2005, just before Christmas, and had one portable chamber by the end of uh, January. We needed to get another one. And by the, you know, so I went from no hours to by the end of August, uh, over five, uh, over 1500 hours. We started at seven o'clock in the morning and went pretty much straight through until the first person got in at seven. The last person got out at 10. We did that seven days a week. So it didn't take very long to go from no hours to 1500 hours. And it was at that time I realized that having people come the way they were doing back then because there were so few clinics, they would drive you know, up to two hours to come see me 
and be in the clinic and do what we did then an hour, you know, and, you know, in the soft chamber and then send them home. It caused a lot of fights between husbands and wives. Who's taking care of the kids? We got to drive them here. We got to drive them there. Grandma and grandma, who's their grandpa, who's going to feed them? Caused a lot of problems. And it was at that time I realized that a person could do it at home. I, my first person that did that, you know, they kept begging me from, you know, like February, because they lived in Maine, we lived in New Jersey. And so that was like 12 hours drive from them. And they kept saying they couldn't come and do it in the clinic because that's all we were doing. But could they, you know, uh, use a chamber we had or rent one? And I said, no, no, no. Kept saying no, no, no. But by the end of the summer, I had so many hours on that chamber, we needed to have it, you know, go back in just to be checked out because we had a lot of hours on it. And so we said, okay, you can do it. And then we'll, you know, we'll have, well, you can come down, drive down, do it, and then take it back. And once you're done, you can send it to OxyHealth and basically have it re, you know, recalibrated, certified, et cetera. So they took it home. And I said, when they came down and were talking to me, picking it up, I said, you know, it was, you know, all the big news. And I says, just don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, whatever. And I says, do the typical hour and a half. But then I said, you could do it twice a day. And so they went and they called back. I forget how many weeks later, it wasn't that many. They were, uh, had gotten to 50, 58 hours, I believe it was. And at an hour and a half, twice a day for 30 consecutive days, we're up to 90. So they were at 58 and they called me back and I'll never forget it. It was snow out there. And they were, the mother was just weeping. I mean, crying on the phone. She says, We've not seen anything, absolutely nothing. And we, you know, we promised you we wouldn't put all our eggs in the one basket, but we really did. And we're so hurt. I mean, we don't have a lot of money and nothing has happened. And what should we do? I says, well, you know, you still got it. Let's finish it. Keep going. He called me about a week later. He was at 60, I think 65 hours. And they says, you're not going to believe this. He said his first meaningful word. He says, before we could say, he could say some words, repeat them like echo. He says, if we said dog, he'd say dog. If we say cat, he'd say cat. But he didn't know a dog from a cat. And his favorite uh, character on, you know, a Lion King was the one with that little dude that runs around with the big long name. I don't remember his name, but it's a big long name, lots of syllables. And they said, we came in and that was his favorite toy and he and he walked in and he and he picks it up and he says whatever the name is multiple syllables and she says we couldn't believe it so we didn't know if he was just echoing something he heard so he says show us the dog and he showed the dog and he showed us the cat and he showed us the cat and then he said and he, he says what's that and he said it's the big long name, whatever, I will learn it because every now and then I have to give this interview. And so I don't know the name, but you might know the name. So you can insert it in your podcast. The name is this big long word. And so that was after 60 some hours by 90 hours. It was the end of the uh, hour and a half twice a day with 10 to 14 hours in between as close to 12 apart as we could do. That's what we did twice a day for 30 consecutive days. The child was singing the entire blues clues whatever that is. Uh, and then by uh, within a year, the child was extremely from really low functioning, not being able to do anything to extremely high functioning. And now he's a recovered kid that sort of shook me 
methyl B12 when the first person that did this, you know, had such good results and started doing all the stuff and talking, it shook me. So if you believe in a higher power, I do. And so maybe I was being shaken because it doesn't work that way all the time. And then with this one was the first one I did with the rental chamber because nobody was doing it back then, maybe a few. And I was a nobody in this whole world of autism back then, probably still um, am not. But anyhow, it's uh, just teasing. But anyhow, so that one shook me. And so that's when we started the rental program. So then I went from two chambers to seven and we kept them rotating all the time. And then we would, so we ended up with two hard chambers in my clinic, seven soft chambers, maybe up to nine that were all the time rotating and this. And again, my clinic went, it was 8,000, not 1,500 hours, went to 8,000 hours by the end. And we have a special evaluation form that I'm going to be lecturing on here at the MAPS conference, that, that form is like for methyl B12 is how it was invented, but it can be adapted to hyperbaric too, to where the parents can know exactly what they see and how it changes with what, what they do and where they go. So that would be good for all your podcast people who do hyperbaric to be able to use. I've decided I'm not gonna write a book. I was gonna write a book. If this is quackery, then I'm a duck. I'm not gonna write it anymore. You can write it for me though, but uh, I'm going to give all this stuff away because I'm tired. I'm getting old. I'm be 72 in a few weeks and I'm not going to quit, but I'm going to slow down and I'll let you guys all write the books and you can have all my stuff and see how well all this stuff works. And the two are more powerful together. Hyperbaric is more powerful if methyl B12 is done and vice versa. So hyperbaric with methyl B12 and a lot of the other things we do, I'm, you know, these are two powerful ones that we have the forms that we can document undeniably. There's no doubt we can document undeniably or my parents are liars or lunatics or they're light years ahead of what the publications say, what the doctors say, what their families are saying, you're crazy. There's no missing it. So that's the difference. So they're not, they're not liars and they're not lunatics. They are truly light years ahead of what's out there. No, but that's, that's why I have you here, because I want you to say all these things so, um, so listeners would know too, because you know how it is, especially in the world of children with special needs and parents desperately searching for information. And there's a lot of information out there, but you really don't know who to trust and which protocols to follow and what works and what doesn't. And the last thing you want to do, you want to make an experiment on your own child and see what works, because you really, that's why, that's why have you on the show so parents can follow um, the fathers of, uh, of this treatment, so to say. I, um, I want to ask you five questions at a time. So let me start with the first one. When you said you accidentally discovered methyl B12, how did it happen? Do you remember? What, what do you mean by accident? Just gave, gave them a shot and they got better? Uh, write this down so you can ask me. So I, you can ask me how I how we can see what's important so a parent can really not miss when hyperbaric's working. Okay, so make sure to write, ask me that question. As far as the methyl B12, I'm not telling you how to run your show, sorry. But, you know, I'm old enough that I don't have to be politically correct, and I'm sorry. And, you know, anyhow, uh, in environmental medicine, I used to take care of a lot of uh, people, mostly a lot of women and children with... Uh, chronic fatigue, multiple sclerosis, 
toxic encephalopathy, all those types of things. And in the in, uh, American Academy of Environmental Medicine, in the training courses, there was one of the tracks. I mean, it's like a several day, you know, training course. One of them was uh, intravenous therapy. So I had taken those courses more than once. Uh, and, you know, just to go back to find out what's new. And in 1998, uh, a new form of B12 came to America. There, up until then, we had cyano B12 and we had hydroxy B12. That's it. And uh, so that's all we had. And somebody brought over to America uh, the methyl form of B12, I believe, from Japan. And so I and they so in the IV courses in 1998, the uh, person who was running the course, oh by the way, there's this brand new type of B12. Why don't we try it in the IVs that ha was using the uh, hydroxy B12? So I used it from 98 or whenever after that lecture from 98 until let's see, probably uh, to 2002. I never saw anything with that group. I just an IV never saw, but. I would go to the think tanks every year back then in Dan organization. We had a think tank, West Coast, East Coast, twice a year, spring, fall. And so being on the think tank, you know, we would always, what, what's working, what's working, what do you think about this and that? And the leaders would sit around. And, you know, when it came to B12, it, you know, whether it was injectable, oral, transdermal, whatever, the consensus was that there was absolutely no consensus, whether it worked better by injection, whether it worked this way or that way, and there was no consensus whether cyano or hydroxy worked. And this consensus came down to which one hurt less than the other. Okay, that was it. So I've been using this for years, and I had it on my shelf, and one day, duh, that's it, duh, you know, my really intelligent face, uh, I said, duh, why don't I use this? I've been using it. Then I was scared. So I gave the a family the, you know, I told them to do it. I prescribed it for them to give it at home. And when they came back about six weeks later, I knew I was going to get killed because my office, I was down here and I could look down the hall. It was about maybe, you know, 75, 80 feet. And the father was about six foot 10. He must've been a basketball player. And the mother was about five foot two, no, five foot. And she was the boss. And they're walking down and they're frowning and they're walking fast. And I said, oh no, I'm gonna get killed. I know I'm gonna die. And then they got just about as close as I am as to the camera and all of a sudden they broke out and these smiles and they all both said simultaneously, doc, can anything work so fast? Duh. What? I didn't even remember I gave it to them. And they said, what? They said, the B12. I didn't remember I gave them the different ones. This B12, well, you know, what B12? They said, that one you prescribed for us. You said it was new or something. And so I sat him down and they told me, they said, uh, Dylan was four and a half. He said, Dylan never spoke before. He had, he would say two words, two words, uh, you know, no spontaneous speech would never look you in the eye. He would not answer your questions, wouldn't even hug and kiss his parents. And all of a sudden they said, he never shuts up. It's like he's making up for four and a half years of not talking to us. He doesn't shut up. He looks us in the eye. Not only does he hug and kiss us, which he never did before, now he's hugging and kissing the bus driver and the crossing guard. And they said, and the mom said, yeah. And uh, she says, when my husband and I go into our bedrooms at the privacy of our bedrooms, we look at each other and we say, you know, Maybe we liked it a little better when we had some peace and quiet. That's it. And that was the beginning of it all. So it was totally an accident. And that's when I was shaken. So I watched it. And it wasn't long after that 
before the the second child today is he's recovered. The second child is recovered. The first one I lost contact with. They moved away. The second one is who knows where that one. Oh no, that one is recovered. The third one is totally recovered. And the third one was the mother who said. You know, she sits there for 45 minutes because she'd been doing like the Dan group and everything for a couple years. And so she's sitting there and she's telling me all of these things that it did for him in the first, you know, six weeks. No, they're not allowed to make any changes. Six weeks, no changes, nothing. And she's going on. She says, I've done this. I've done the diet. I've done the supplements. I've done the, the stool stuff. I've done allergy stuff. Nothing has worked for TJ. Was His name still is. Uh, basically, nothing has worked. And now I have all these things. And so as I'm as we're getting up to leave, she just went on for 45 minutes and she's getting up to leave. And she says, oh, by the way, you're a doctor. I knew that you're a doctor and I'm a nurse. And she says, nurse, doctors often don't listen to what nurses say. So I know this is going to change the world for autism. So I have written you a letter describing everything so you won't forget. So I was OK, fine. So that was back again, not being famous. So I had nobody in my office at two o'clock that afternoon. So I opened the mail. It was a Saturday. So I opened the mail and in the mail was another letter from another mother doing something like that. So if you get shaken by this, by whatever power you do or don't believe in, there's something going on there because it doesn't work that way all the time. But the first hyperbaric worked that way, portable chamber. And so it's around the world. Everybody's around the world can do it. Anyone, anywhere. Back then it was nobody can do it because, oh, it's not safe. It's not proven. You're going to blow yourself. All this kind of garbage that's out there. Now it's around the world. And methyl B12 is around the world. So if I die today, I tell many people, if I die today, at least I can know that I've made a difference in the world. And wherever I'm going, it's got to be better than where we're living right now. That that would be a beautiful note to finish the interview, but I still want to go on because I have a lot of a lot more questions to ask. But thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you for sharing. That's a beautiful story. Uh, how many patients have you treated with methyl B12? I'm sure I've treated, you. I've treated over four thousand with methyl B12. I personally 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 prescribed and monitored over one point five million doses. Uh, I have treated over a hundred thousand hours with hyperbaric for children on the autism spectrum. And going back to that hyperbaric story that, that you told us, I wanted to comment because um, I hear it all the time. I deal a lot with, uh, with patients um, as yourself too. And they would say, okay, where's the magic number? What is it? Is it 20 sessions? Is it 30 sessions? Uh, everybody's referring to 40 sessions, which in my opinion is a made up number, that 40 sessions. So that family, have they stopped at when they phoned you and they didn't see any improvements, they would have never gotten to the point where they actually saw the improvements, which was 60 something treatment. So I think it's important not to cling to that number and not to say, okay, if it didn't work after 20 sessions, then it wouldn't work. What is your take on that? Well, that comes back to the question I said, don't forget to ask me. Thank you. It's really, really true. Here's the thing. If we wanted to do an experiment, Okay, let's do a food experiment. You have a group, I have a group, and somebody else has a group. Your husband has a group. So you have your group, and in your group, you and ten, nine other people, a group of 10, are going to prove whether food works or not. So the, the end point is going to be 90 meals. So you're going to eat three meals a day for 30 days, 90 meals. Your husband wants to beat you on this experiment, so he does one meal a day 
one meal a day for, you know, 90 days, three months. And then I want to beat both of you because I'm the doctor. I want to beat you. So basically, I do one, week, one meal a week for 90 weeks. You have proven food works. Your husband has proven food is so-so. And I have proven food doesn't work because everybody who only eats one meal a week dies, okay? So it's, you, it's how we do it. It's, so it's not the number of hours. It's how you put it together, the process. There's been studies that have been done. And this is where it screws things up. If a study isn't done where you're comparing things like that, you're not going to get the same answer. What I've found is hyperbaric oxygen under pressure for treatment time will work, period. It will. It, whether you do it one hour a week or, you know, one hour a day or more. The problem is you have to do it long enough initially to be able to see it work so that you can prove to yourself and everything else. That's why the evaluation form is so important to know. And so in my diagnostic protocol, I will use an, my, for soft chamber. I had another one for hard, but my diagnostic protocol for soft chamber is to do one and a half hours a day or one and a half hours, twice a day, as close as possible to 12 hours apart. So depending on the round the clock sleep and life, you know, that's 10 to 14 hours, twice a day, hour and a half for 30 consecutive days, and then fill out that, that hyperbaric parent design report format that after 10 hours, which is like, I mean, after 30 hours, which is like 10 days, after 90 hours, which is like 30 uh, 30 days, and then fill it out again three weeks later because there's a certain group of kids with autism, about 8%, that, uh, that they do hyperbaric, and the parents don't see anything while they're in it. But within 7 to 10, 12 days afterwards, all of a sudden, that's when it jumps. It's all of a sudden, that's a rebound. So I have them do this. And so now we have the documentation. They know without a shadow of a doubt that it works. It works mildly, usually. It's not magic. People want their kid to catch up yesterday. They want to plant a flower now and pick it tomorrow for their wife. You know, it doesn't work that way. We have to do certain things. So now when I have them with the diagnostic protocol documented, undeniably it works, then they can do whatever they want. I have, a, I have if they have their own chambers, I have a, a, an ongoing maintenance program where they do an hour and a half a day. They can do that even during school and everything else. And on weekends or snow days, if they want, they can do an extra hour and a half. So that gives them at least 45 in a month, up to 60 usually. That's how they can do it. It's an ongoing maintenance. And they, you know, so it's an on-not maintenance, an ongoing treatment. It's never a maintenance. However, if they can't even do that, they have to go on vacation, they have to be gone so they can do it much less, it still works. Oxygen under pressure for treatment time works, period. But the reason that people aren't understanding answers is because they are not having a diagnostic protocol that they can go with and know. And the problem is when you ask a parent, what did hyperbaric do? It's what they want. It's what I call a statement. It's, you know, 15 to 45 words, because if they wanted to see language and didn't get it because they heard about somewhere else, it doesn't work. If they wanted to see this or that, it doesn't work. When all the things that when you look at the 126 possible things that the parents, the thousands of parents that have told, yeah, the hundred, about a thousand that have told me, you can know what it does. And so therefore, that's like where they have to write the story. This is what my child was like before with detailed examples. This is what my child is now after whatever your end point is. 40 is just kind of like, 
it's kind of like a, a, a weight, you know, in, you know, stone in Scotland and a pound or kilogram, it's a weight. It's where somebody made it. So it's a comparison point. It's nothing more than that as a comparison point. So I don't say 20, I think if you're going to do it, do enough hours so you can see it because on my diagnostic protocol, I want to do enough hours. And that's why if they do a rental chamber, they can do enough hours. They can do 90 hours in 30 consecutive days. If you go to a clinic, you're missing a couple of days. That's like eating your food experiment and then not eating for a few days, eating and not eating. I don't believe it's as good, okay? Even when I had a, a clinic with all kinds of chambers, I had soft and I had hard. So, and I would still have a clinic except they raised the rent and I'm 70 and I didn't, they wanted me to sign a 10-year lease and I didn't want to do that. So this is this is just amazing. So basically what you did, you took all the possible symptoms that could be there, which were 126, and then a parent needs to fill out a questionnaire where they would uh, check off the symptoms that their child currently has and then do it again after uh, 10 days and then again after 30 days of twice a day treatments. And then they can see a picture of what has changed, not just one symptom like speech or fidgeting or whatever that symptom was that they wanted to see changed, right? And that's right. how we can say that hyperbaric works because we look at the, all the possible 126 uh, manifestation of the uh, autistic spectrum, right? Right. That's they, correct. They don't give, unlike, unlike ATEC and the other forms that are used, they don't give a baseline. The baseline is whatever their child is to them. They, at, but at the, at the first evaluation, whether, you know, let's say it's at 10 days for soft chamber, at that evaluation, they show the change from when they started zero, at zero hours to what it is now. They show the change, and there's a five-point uh, five scale, zero to five. So one is a mild change from baseline. Two is mild to moderate, three is moderate. So they put in, they give a number in the boxes of what it is. So that's at their, let's say, 30 days or 10 days, 30 hours. Then at the end, at 90 hours, 30 days, 90 hours, then they will go through and they will see what the change is again since baseline. Okay, now it's a three. So in other words, if a child, and then they do that again three, three weeks later after they stop the, the not, you know, whatever, they stop the h -bot. So let's say conversational language. Let's say it went up mildly more where the child would try to speak more and in, in be involved. Let's say conversational language was a mild one after 30 days. But after 90 days, it was a three. So it's from baseline. So it added two more. So if one went to three, I can see it goes up. And then if after, if after three weeks of no chamber while we're waiting for that rebound effect, it might go to a four or it might stay at a three or it might start dropping off. Okay, so we can see what it does. And it's the change over baseline that there's no doubt. And the parents have to not just put a number in a box. They have to define it to me in great terms. They have to say, this is what my child was like before starting hyperbaric. He would do this, he wouldn't do this, et cetera. They make groupings like awareness, language, whatever, socialization. They make their groups and they put the numbers and then they have to say one story and they have to do it in great detail. This is what he was like before. With examples documented, this is what he's like now afterwards with examples documented. And then this is, and then they present it to me. I'm the judge and jury. 
They're the defense attorney team. Defense attorney team doesn't go to the judge and say, you know, judge, my client, he's such a nice guy. He didn't do anything, you know, and the judge kicks him out. But the defense attorney team it lays, the, lays the case. They say before the accident, my, my, my uh, client would run. He ran the Boston Marathon every year. He played tennis and racquetball every day of the week, and he was on no medicines. Now, not only can he not run, he uses a walker, and he's on pain medicine every day. One sells it, one doesn't. The parents know undeniably if it works or not, if they do a diagnostic protocol and do it right, and there's no missing it. The same for methyl B12. If you know what you're looking for, you're not just saying the statement 15 to 45 words because this is what you want, you didn't see it, so it's not working. That's the sad part. Thousands and tens of thousands of children from practitioners all around the world, whether hyperbaric, good in functional medicine, autism, whatever, are missing the power that methyl B12 has the power, the tremendous power that HBOT has. If it's not done right, you can't see. And so therefore, they do a little here, do a little there. They miss it. It doesn't work. And the children could be helped. And that's the sad part. And that's a very powerful statement. And I think it's very important for the parents to understand this, um, to understand that it works, but the evaluation part is missing. Um, have you, I'm going to ask you uh, a difficult question. Have you seen hyperbarics not work for a child on autistic spectrum, although hyperbarics was done properly? Yes, it works for, in my, you know, I've got that data too. In my clinic, the parents that, I, I always started my methyl B12 just because that was what I was doing before HBOT ever came into my life. So I start them on methyl B12 and I get them to finding out their optimum frequency. 91.3% of the kids do better on daily shots than every three days if it's done right. Then I put them on hyperbaric. And my kids, my kids that respond to methyl B12, 90, about 90, it's right at 90%. It's not less. It's just a little over 90%. Nine out of 10 of the families can document undeniably that hyperbaric works for their child. About 10% say they didn't see enough to warrant trying it again. It doesn't mean it might not if we get some other things in order, whether it's the GI tract or this or that, but it doesn't mean it can't work. But right now, you know, again, to money, money to them is, you know, is people don't have a lot of money and to do this and to pay the money it takes to do it, oftentimes it just wasn't enough to see. It might've worked a little, but that's it. So that's a good question. So maybe uh, if it didn't, if from the parent's point of view uh, and the practitioner might agree with them, it didn't work at that particular moment, <clears throat> they could try it later in the future when they've done other changes. And of course, we know it's with any disease. It doesn't necessarily, it's not like autism is any different from any disease um, that a person can have. We need to address the foundation of health. If we don't address the diet, if we don't address the environmental toxicities and other stressors, and we just throw all these wonderful therapies, we might not get the effect we could have gotten if we address these foundations first. And maybe, maybe, I'm just saying maybe, but I do believe that this is true, that if we implement those changes and then start hyperbarics, or at the same time, we could see a much bigger a much bigger result. Um, so I understand the protocol that you're using is twice a day for 30 days and then um, maintenance, which is one maintenance stage, which is once a day and getting 
treatments twice a day whenever they can on an odd day. Do you encourage families to take a break ever from doing um, HBOT or uh, do they continue? That's, that's true. I, I, I corrected myself. I said maintenance and then I corrected it. it's treatment. It's an ongoing treatment. It's just not maintenance. You know, so it, there, it's ongoing treatment because oxygen under pressure for treatment time does work, whether you only do it once a week, once a month or whatever. As far as I take the breaks, so what I have my parents do is do the uh, 30, you know, when they have their own chamber, do whatever I have them do, 30 days on, three weeks off, or month on month off, month on month off. That's what, so it is an automatic break in my clinic. There's an occasional person that they really see a lot every time. So I might still take, I'll still take a two week break with them. I just don't want it continuous. If they're, however, if they, if they don't have any way to follow any protocol, it's better to do it intermittently any way they're doing it than not doing it at all, you know? And do you feel that supplemental oxygen is important? Uh, for them? What's that? Yeah, for, for this particular type of patients, for children with autism, do you think it, supplemental oxygen is important? I think it's true. I mean, I think it's one of the most important things they do. Like with, the, I think it's one of the two foundational things, like with the methylation, what we're finding, methylation is critical. There's new research that just came out July of this year, new research that's documenting many of the things I said that nobody ever even believed, even though they knew methylation was improved. That's really exciting. And oxygen, oxygen does its own thing. So, you know, these children with autism, they don't, they, it's, it's been documented, they don't have the blood flow where they need in the brain. And so when you have in the brain, let's say capillaries or not, you know, capillaries are so far apart and the oxygen can only uh, just uh, uh, go 64 micrometers. It's about the thickness of a piece of paper, okay? So, but, you know, when they have these areas of the brain that are not, ox you know, not the blood vessels, the blood flow isn't there. Now you have a blood vessel here, you don't have one here that's full of, you know, whatever. So now by giving oxygen under pressure, we're pushing it this way. Now this one has oxygen under pressure is pushing this way. So now we cover the gap that they couldn't have themselves. So is, is oxygen good for you or me? The answer is yes. Is oxygen good for these kids? Yes. And we've also documented now with these kids, a uh, significant percentage of these kids have mitochondrial dysfunction, not disease, dysfunction. And that is also the, you know, where you cannot consume and process oxygen the right way. And so oxygen under pressure treatment time is good for multiple reasons. And the more we know, the more we uh, are able to document that's the case. Thank you. <laughs> what I meant, though, I um, maybe I'll rephrase that. When they get a hyperbaric oxygen treatment, do they actually get oxygen through the mask, or it's just the pressure that you're recommending? Or maybe for some patients, it's oxygen and pressure, and for others, it's just pressure. My protocol was using an oxygen concentrator because an oxygen concentrator can take the oxygen in the air 21% and get it to about 92%. And then that comes down the hose and out and it's an open system with a, a soft chamber. It's an open system. So it comes out a mask. And so the mask is here. So this is open and depending how fast the child breathes or very slow and how far the mask and if they won't wear the mask, how close a parent will hold the tip of the uh, uh, hose to their nose, 
that depends on how much the concentration of oxygen is. And so therefore, I've always used that. So I, I assume it's going to be somewhere by the time it's diluted with the air and how often the chambers, you know, uh, flow through probably 40 to 50 percent. But, you know, that's kind of it. I know that there are studies that show hyperbaric air has worked and pressure alone has been documented by research to decrease inflammation. So that has been documented and we know that these children with autism have inflammation. So even if we only used pressure and no oxygen, you know, we're probably doing something to improve the inflammation. We're, by doing no oxygen on uh, pressure with oxygen, we're increasing the oxygen concentration instead of 21%, maybe to 23. It's not a whole lot. So it's increasing it a little bit, and a little more is probably better than none. But so therefore, it's the pressure. So we've shown that all of these pressures work. The one that I've done most of my research on is soft chamber up to 1.75, sometimes 2.0, you know, but... I think sometimes pushing it for these kids with hyperbaric, more is not necessarily better here. More pressure is not necessarily better, but of course, to parents with kids with autism, more is always better, and it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't right. work that way. Probably, I think it's um, oxygen is a, is a drug, so pressure is the dosage, and it's important. The dosage is important. I think it's important for parents to understand because a lot of times, because they want the best for their child, so they're thinking if they're pushing for higher pressure, its effect will be um, faster, and and maybe they'll get more effect. But it's uh, it's not. It doesn't work like that. And at home, of course, they're using one point three. Um, because that's that's what they can do at home, and and you can still see the benefits, right? With one point three, with uh, chambers approved for home use, I get equal. I get equally as good improvements from soft chamber done correctly than I do from hard chamber done. Because mm -hmm. hard chamber, you have to go to the clinic. It takes the time, the travel, the extra money. You're not amortizing anything down. The cost continues to go up. Where you own a chamber, it comes down or rent one. So therefore. And then when you look at, when you actually do the math, if you take that, a hard chamber, let's say 1.5 atmospheres with 100% oxygen, let's say it's 150 oxygen units per time. If you take a soft chamber, by the time it's diluted, instead of 40 to 50, let's make it 38.5%. So we made the number lower times 1.3 atmospheres is 50 oxygen units per unit time. So if I do three hours a day at 50, it's the same as one hour a day at 100% at, at 1.5 atmospheres. So it comes the same. And the difference is, too, when you do three hours at 1.3 versus one or one and a half hours at 1.5, you get more pressure units because you cannot make pressure go too fast. You know, if all of a sudden you're being chased by somebody to steal your purse and you're running faster, you can't run horse speed. Mm -hmm. And the guy will get you anyhow. Okay. But so in other words, more pressure doesn't necessarily more, more, uh, you can't more pressure. You just can't make it do that much more. So now by doing three hours of pressure a day versus one and a half, you're getting more anti-inflammatory effects. So my improvements are just as good with soft chamber as they are with hard chamber. You can see them faster and they might, you know, might see them quicker and more is not necessarily better. So in answer to your question, they are equal in my clinic. I do both. 
Thank you for answering this question because it comes up a lot uh, and, and, and it's important to understand. And uh, you know how at one point the parent becomes an expert because they have to live with this and it's better to learn from the experts to become an expert. So thank you for clarifying this. I also, another question uh, I get asked a lot. So I wanted to ask your opinion on that. Some parents are concerned uh, because um, kids with, uh, with autism, a lot of times are affected by yeast overgrowth. How does hyperbaric oxygen affect yeast overgrowth? They're concerned that yeast thrives on oxygen. Well, that might be true to a degree, okay? Because it's one of those social media, you know, whatever, oxygen, you know, anytime the child laughs a little bit, it must be, it must be yeast because yeast make alcohol. Well, there's happy drunks and there's sad drunks and belligerent drunks. So, you know, early on, I was pretty much bought into all of that because that's what I was seeing. But as I followed, we've done about 100,000 hours. And again, I don't just prescribe it. If I prescribe, if I do it, I have to monitor it. So we got 100,000 hours, okay? And most of my parents just don't suddenly do this and have it doing, you know, worse, okay? The kid might laugh more, they might do this and that. So yes, oxygen might be able to help yeast more, but don't eat any carbohydrate because that's gonna make yeast. Don't eat, don't do this, don't do that. And so in other words, it's, it's an overstatement, and it's, but it's a very popular overstatement. And after I've done and monitored tens of thousands of hours with my parents from all over the country and all over the world, I've not found that to be a very big problem. And if, you know, if it is, if they think it is, it doesn't hurt to put them on something like Nystatin or herbal agents or something else. Or you could even do that to start with if they want. So, and it is, it's, it's better for, it's better to give it if they have Clostridia, because that's another thing. So Clostridia is an anaerobic organ, organism and doesn't like oxygen. So you win one place and you lose another. But it's just what groups you're following, because links follow links. And if you get down the yeast group, everything is yeast. If you get down the heavy metal group, everything is heavy metals. If you get down the, I mean, it's just this, it's crazy anymore. So yeah, yeast can be a problem. I didn't, I've never seen it to make a, a, be a big enough problem not to do hyperbaric or not that could be controlled. Never zero once. Because we can control yeast with, um, with uh, supplements, um, herbs and, and medication. And but the benefits of doing hyperbarics greatly outweigh the fact that maybe uh, the yeast might mm, be overgrown a little bit in this particular. You you haven't seen that being a problem. Thank you for sharing. I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be happy to hear that because it gives them a green light to continue doing hyperbarics. Um, if um, if you were to give an advice to parents in this community. Um, what advice would you give them, parents of children um, with special needs, specifically on autistic spectrum? I'd tell them to learn from the leaders like yourself. I'd say follow the leaders because they've gone to the conferences, they've paid the price, they've done the things that it takes to either work, you know, not somebody that's just some, gone to some conference once and got a little certificate, you know, whatever. Follow the leaders. Look at what are the major foundational things. That's the thing that I found. And that's, we were just talking yesterday with some of the leadership uh, here 
at mass what the people are doing anymore. They're not putting in the basic foundational things first. They're not getting the methylation and they're not getting the they're not getting hyperbaric or the getting the GI tract really in order or the diet. They're they're not they're jumping to this and this and this. And if they don't find it quick enough, then they go to some other clinician because they're wanting too much too soon and they want certain things. And so if they go and because somewhere on the internet, it says this helped my kids with language, my kid doesn't have language, so I must do this. And they do that and it doesn't work for their child. It doesn't work. And what happens is parents burn themselves out very quickly. Biomedical doesn't work. So I quit. I'm out of here. And that's very sad for the children because the leaders, the leadership in the world of autism can help almost all of them. I, as I take all my kids, and right now I bet my parents $25,000. I will bet them $25,000. I will literally put $25,000 in escrow with a, a, a with a, an attorney if they will do the same because if they follow certain protocols that we do, you know, more than methyl B12 and hyper, if they follow these protocols, I can guarantee without a shadow of a doubt that, and I can monitor by lab testing that they will be significantly improved within four to five years recovered, I can never say. But I know that from where they are, there will be a significant improvement in four to five years in the laboratory tests that I use to document that prove it. So I will bet I've never lost that bet yet. So I don't know how many clinicians can sit there and say, I will bet I first bet them $5,000 that their child will have at least 10 out of 13 things abnormal that I do. And the average is 11. And then I, and I, so I win that bet. And then I bet them it'll, you know, as long as they do what the thousands of other parents that have done that have preceded them in my clinic do for their child, their child will also improve. And that's a $25,000 bet. And I have never lost that bet yet because I can document and they can see the change. They can see the laboratory test goes to what I say is below the reference range. It's like a failing F in college. Goes to D, goes to C, goes to B, goes to A. And that's a four to five year process. You cannot get through college quicker. You know, I tell them when they when they do their first shot or the first eight hyperbaric, I says, that's when I want you to take your first piano lesson. And then when you come back for the first evaluation, like with methyl B12, which is like six to nine weeks later, I say, that's when I want you to uh, uh, tell me how your child does. And that's when I want you to play for me your first piano recital. How good is it going to be? And they laugh just like you did right there. They laugh and they finally get it. They know. And I say, however, if you continue to take piano lessons and if you continue to practice, in four to five years, you will be making beautiful music. That is a $25,000 bet that you and every clinician can take to the bank. You can, as long as they do these things. And, and you know how this is called? This is called hope backed by science. Because this is science. If you look at it as science, not just a, a miracle, because a miracle might happen or it might not happen. But when there, there's science behind it, we can be sure, and when we're sure we can bet this much money, that the, the changes uh, are going to happen when the treatment is done correctly. Dr. Newbrander, thank you so much. You've uh, explained uh, in, in such simple terms uh, for everybody to understand. You clarified um, so many questions that I had and that my listeners had for all the research that you're doing. And despite the fact that you're always thinking about uh, retiring and resting, you never do actually. 
you continue to work and you continue to contribute a lot to the field. And this is your legacy. And you have not only thousands of hours uh, behind you, but thousands and tens of thousands of happy families. And um, this is, I mean, I mean, this is, uh, this is important. This is called legacy. Uh, I'm very proud that I know you, that I can learn from you. And uh, it was really, uh, really good to have you on the show. And I hope to see you soon in person. Well, that's good. I hope so, too. You take care. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Thank you. That's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode like I did. If you know someone who might benefit from this information, please send them a link to this episode. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive new episodes every week. Until the next week, stay safe and healthy.